0: This morning's Bible reading is Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shape me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in the secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he waits. He lies in wait. He lies in wait to watch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees them. Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider the grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evil doer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them. You listen to their cry, oh. defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning again. Um, I just always find this psalm both heartbreaking to read and... um, and very hopeful to read. And so I wanna, I always do this, my password wrong, (laughs) made it too complicated. Um, I just, this morning I wanna spend some more time in this psalm. So for, you, for those of you, I know you're all very familiar with, with International Justice Mission, but for those of you who don't know us that well, we are um, a global organization that works to protect the poor from violence across the world. And the poor, they suffer all forms of violence because they are not protected um, by a justice system that works for them. Um, And then, actually, there are people in power who abuse that lack of protection in the system. And their situation um, of both the oppressor and the oppressed is so well described in Psalm 10, what we just read. So verse 2 talks about the wicked in his pride, he persecutes the poor. Verse 9 talks about he lies in wait to catch the poor, that the helpless may fall by his strength. And we see that every day in the work that we do. Violence is a daily threat for the poor, and slavery is one of those threats. And this morning is is about the fight to end slavery. Um, And Psalm 10 ends with this beautiful hope that the man of this earth may oppress no more. And there is a beautiful hope in that, and and it's a hope that we have when we look at the problem of slavery. And that is why we're actually really excited about Freedom Sunday. It's the second year that it takes place all around the world in in 50 nations, 5,000 churches on this morning are doing the same thing as this church is, which is to me so encouraging. Um, because it's joining in that call that God has for us to act, to actively seek justice for the poor and the oppressed and to build his kingdom here on this earth. And so we're excited about that. Churches across Australia are joining in that. And we're very grateful for Darling Street, um, for your partnership with us. I loved um, the evening of the Songs of Freedom. It was, for those of you who were there, it was such... It was such a beautiful and joyful evening, actually, and um, you raised funds for the work that we do in Ghana, and so this morning, I want to dive a little bit deeper, specifically in that work that we do in Ghana, Um, and for churches like you who are so involved already, Freedom Sunday is not just an invitation to join us in this fight and to pray for those who are still still enslaved today, but it's also a celebration of all the things that are happening um, throughout the world because of churches like you. Um, and so uh, the, we, I actually, just to start with that, um, we received news um, yesterday that um, of a rescue operation that took place on, uh, on Lake Volta, which is one of the largest man-made lakes in the world in Ghana. And we were able to rescue 12 from an island um, Um, on Lake Volta, and God literally provided guiding light in that rescue operation because it had been raining, heavy rain for days, and the rescue operation was planned on that day and we had mobilized the police to come with us, and that one day the heavy rain stopped and there was actually just um, the sunshine came through, which made it safe for us to go on the boats and to do the rescue operation. And there was a boy um, who had been rescued in May, and he led the police and IGM to places where he knew that more children were being held in slavery. And during the operation, the traffickers um, had said to the trafficked children, you should hide when the police come. And so we found children hiding under their beds, and the children had been told as well to, to run and to hide in the bush. And one of them, boys that had been rescued, he said, On seeing the police, my master asked us to run and hide in the bush. And after leaving our master's view, we came to a vantage point and called for help from the police. Why should we hide when it was our opportunity to be free? And so eight boys and two girls in the ages of 9 to 15 were rescued. One boy who was 18-year-old and then an infant child of one of the girls were rescued. And they'd been held captive on that island with no no schooling um, and unpaid as slave laborers. And so one of my colleagues shared about the joy that they felt and the sense of relief. And she said, they expressed such great joy for being taken off the lake. They'd been hoping and praying that a day of liberation would reach them soon. And so we are so grateful um, for God, to God for this rescue operation. We're grateful that these children actually, on that one day, they decided not to listen to their master anymore. And uh, and just were very courageous and took the risk. And, and, and they are celebrating this weekend in freedom. Um, and again, we're so grateful for churches like you and for churches around the world who are joining us in this. Because in a world where... There are 40 million slaves today. That is exactly what is needed, and slavery it exists today. It's fast. It's brutal, and it's those young boys uh, losing their childhood on the boats. It's young children losing their innocence on cameras. It's it's families wasting away in factories and brick kilns and rock quarries, and with 40 millions, it's more than ever in history. And. Um, I know you've all watched this beautiful film throughout, maybe some Sundays even, The Dark Place that told the story about Foley, and we just heard about his rescue operation, but there's one more story that I wanna share with you um, this morning of a boy that we met on the lake, which is, and it's a boy called Gideon. Um, It's not an easy story, um, but I wanna share it and then sit in Psalm 10 a little more. So Gideon, um, he was born on, in a small village, just a few hours away from Lake Volta, and then he, when he was young, his father died, and then when he was eight years old, he remembers that a, that a man came to his village, and um, and took him away um, to work on a boat in the fishing industry on Lake Volta. And through beatings, Gideon was forced um, to um, to work on a boat, and Gideon soon learned that, you know, that he had to obey his master because if he didn't, the result would be beatings. And Gideon remembered that he was eight years old when he was taken away from his village. But from that moment on, all the days and all the years just blended into one because he didn't know how old he was when we rescued him. And he was—he—he—he he, he received one meal a day, um, but was forced to work 12 to 14 hours a day on the boat, doing very hard labor, And then when he was sick, um, there was no doctor. He was forced to still work, no medicine, no time off. And Gideon worked for a master, and his master himself had children who went to school and who had nice clothes. But Gideon, he couldn't go to school, and he wore rags or was often naked. And the children of the master, as children should, they slept inside the house with their parents, But Gideon slept outside the house, on the ground, with the dogs and the livestock. And the children of the master, they worked on the boats as well, sometimes on the weekends, and then they just got paid for it. And so when Gideon asked his master, why don't I get paid um, for the work that I do, he was simply told, because you are not a child. And yet, despite all of this, Gideon called his master father. Father. And so when we just read through Psalm hand, that was a hard daily reality to him. And we found out about Gideon because in 2014, we decided that we wanted to open an office in Ghana. We had heard about slavery happening on the lakes, Um, on Lake Volta in Ghana, and and we wanted to open an office there. So we sent IGEM investigators for five weeks going undercover on the boats to assess and to document what's happening. um, Where where do we see child labor on the lakes? And our our undercover investigators said it was one of the hardest assignments of their career because they saw boys who were just five years old on the lakes, who were, who were covered in scars and who were malnourished. And, um, and when they looked into the eyes of the boys, they saw nothing. There was, there was no hope for them. And then when they, when they met Gideon, it was actually really different. Gideon, he grabbed one of our undercover investigators and he said, could you please take me away from this place? Because my master is wicked and he beats me. It was an undercover investigation, and we wanted to open an office and so we would risk all of that if we would have intervened at that moment and So our undercover investigators, my colleagues, they had to do the heartbreaking thing and motor away and After that, they came back and, uh, and finished the assessment and we were obviously we were determined to open that office in Ghana and we did that as soon as possible and we went back and we started training the officials, so we started training the police and Um, on doing undercover investigations and setting up rescue operation. And that first rescue operation, we we called um, rescue operation Gideon um, because we were going out there and we were going to find him And we did that first rescue operation, we rescued 10 boys and Gideon was one of them. And I wanted to show you this picture because it's Gideon now. So he was rescued four years ago. And this is him now who went through our aftercare program back to his village, did an education and graduated not too long ago. And uh, at that moment of his rescue, we were also able to, um, to take seven suspects in custody. But it was then that we found out why there's slavery on Lake Volta. It's because there's no intention. There was no intention at all. Um, They refused, local authorities refused to actually prosecute the perpetrators. And that's when slavery thrives. And so we were stuck because we could rescue the boys. But if we couldn't hold their perpetrators to account, we would actually create a space for other boys to be very vulnerable, to be trafficked to the lakes. Um, and 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 the, and the cycle would just never end. And um, as is always the case, when we do when we open a field office, the task before us is just too overwhelming and too impossible. And there are just too many slaves and just too much corruption. And so, when we zoom out from that situation, when we zoom out from Gideon and zoom in on our household. Our three little boys, Tom, Finn, and Luke, and I know that at least Tom is listening to this, um, they, uh, they live lives in freedom and safety, and Eric and I want to prepare them for life, and so sometimes we give them an overwhelming and impossible task, uh, like cleaning up their Legos. And they, when we ask them to do that at the end of the day, they respond to that in a way that I think we all often respond to an overwhelming and impossible task. Um, and then, the, Because the first reaction is, is that they choose not to see it, they, or they just pretend not to see it. Uh, so LEGO can be everywhere, and we stumble over it, and they just won't see it. And Luke would even ask, where, where? And then they have this, when they do finally then see it and recognize it for what it is, they have this unified response. Hi, look. <laughs> they have this unified response and they say, "Ah," And in that, they just wish it away. They wish it wasn't there. And then Finn, he would, Tom would know that this is true. Finn, he would just pick up one piece of Lego and then he would be exhausted and say, this is just too much work. And then they've got this really great strategy. They think if, they, if we just pretend to be busy doing something else, then maybe someone else will deal with the problem. So if I'm doing this, then maybe one of my brothers would have done it in the meantime. And if we wait long enough, maybe mom and dad will actually do it and deal with the problem. And then when, if if we're having a day that we're all very tired, um, at least one of them will rage against the injustice of the situation. And. Um, I actually love cleaning up so I would love to help them um, and I do and it's really incredible the moment that I say but I'm gonna help you it's like something changes Um, because then suddenly they know that there's someone with them there who actually is able to pick up all the Lego who's able to who has the overview someone who's bigger than them um, and it is a motivation Finn will still be exhausted by the task, but you know, Tom is actually, Tom is really great um, at doing it. And um, yeah, and they find this motivation in because they know that I'm there with them, helping them. And so, because what we want for them to learn is that whenever, is whenever we have something in life that's overwhelming and impossible, what you do is you just start doing it one by one. You pick up the Legos, and then there comes a point in time and it's actually done. Because reality is, the overwhelming and impossible situation will not go away by itself, and we're left with one course of action, and that's start picking up the Legos. And so the situation that we had in Ghana was, was really overwhelming, and it seemed impossible because they just wouldn't do it. We knew where the boys were, we just couldn't bring the slave owners to justice. And so Psalm 10 was again a reality, um, because it seemed like the oppressor could get away with it. Verse 11 in the psalm talks about, he said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. And it seemed like they were right. And this situation, it wasn't just a week or a month or three months. It lasted two years. And the government was just waiting for us to blink and to compromise, to go away, for us to run out of funding, um, and to drop our Legos, and to give up. And it's actually normal everywhere we go, because violence, injustice, and oppression, it doesn't leave the field voluntarily. Because slavery exists, because people in power allow it to exist, because it serves their interest. So every struggle for justice and every struggle for freedom, it requires a confrontation with that power. And there's always resistance, and it's always a battle, and it's never easy. And the reason that I'm sharing you with you this is because it's not about IGM. It's about God, and it's about God's people. It's about believing that someone who's bigger than us is with us, who oversees it, and is actually able to do the job. And in the countries that we work and the casework that we take on, people often expect us to give up. The criminals, they hope that we give up. And the poor have been told that we would leave at some point. And in the systems that we work in that are so corrupt, it would actually be totally reasonable, maybe even sensible, if we would just retreat. But as God's people, um, we, we are choosing to stay. We're not going away and we're not backing down because we believe in hope and we believe in light that is stronger than darkness and we believe in establishing God's kingdom on earth. And so I believe it's a question of power. Who holds it and who will it be dispersed for? So after two years in Ghana, not blinking, and the government finally uh, renewed our MOU, our agreement with them. And from that moment on, we've been able to do rescue operations. Uh, and we've been able to rescue around 130 boys from that moment on and uh, arrested 41 suspects. And two of them have already been convicted and the rest are awaiting their trial. And it's just the beginning, but the cycles are finally starting to break And so at IGM, we have this vision in a world paralyzed by despair. We want to put slavery out of business and protect the poor from violence. And I love that first sentence of, uh, the first part of that sentence, in a world paralyzed by despair, because I think that's it. We're often, we can be so paralyzed by the fact that the government is corrupt and doesn't want to work with us, or by the the vast darkness of it all, or the overwhelming numbers of the millions of people in slavery, and we can be paralyzed. Um, The world can, but I think it's not just the world out there. The church can, we can, and I can be very paralyzed by that. And um, I I used to be very, very afraid. Um, and um, so I grew up in this small town in the Netherlands. And um, there was actually not, much, not nothing much there to be afraid of, but I was. So I remember my father watching um, the 8 o'clock news every evening. And uh, after that, if there was anything on the news about missing persons or about violence or abduction, he would have to spend hours, really hours, in prayer and talking to me. Um, it was such a good preparation for the job I have today. And hearing those stories actually every day now—who um, would have thought? Um, and then I, I remember that when I was uh, when it was dark outside, and I came home, and I uh, I just used to run from the car to the front door and then slam the front door shut, just so glad I'd made it safely inside. But it's if you see my hometown, it's ridiculous. There's really nothing much to be afraid of there. But I was because I knew, I knew that evil was out there. And it just it scared me. And I remember at some point I watched an interview with Eugene Peterson, the writer of The Message. And he in that interview, he, he explains why he has a crucifix in every room in his house. And he said, it reminds me of the world that we live in. It's a world where the system crushes the divine. And it reminds me then that I have a choice. How do I respond to that? And it's a question I then asked myself as well. Because I realized that even though evil is indeed out there, I don't want it to crush the divine in me. I don't want it to crush the love and the hope and the perseverance, everything that God brings. And I don't want to respond with hopelessness, like there's nothing I can do. Well, there's actually a God, God in me and out there and in me and on my side who has called me to charge the darkness and bring light and promised me that he would be with me every step of the way. So as I IGM working in that environment, we choose daily um, to be more impressed by a good God than by the evil and fear out there. Because in this fight, we need to be able to truly believe that God is a God of justice, that he hears the Christ, that he sees the oppression, and that he acts, that he shows up just like Psalm 10 says that he will. In that last verse, verse 17, he's, it says, You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that earthly mortals will never again strike terror. So what we do is, um, is that we have devoted stillness and daily time in prayer all the officers around the world uh, to prep our interior for the work and then to create space for God to be at work because we realize that no matter how much expertise we have, there's no way that we can do this on our own. And we realize that evil is real and that that we work in a very dark environment, uh, but we don't want fear that then turns into hopelessness, get the best of us, but we want to work from a place of love and of hope. And I think that's a choice for all of us. Um, It's a choice that our undercover investigators have to make when they're in the field. It's a choice that we make every day um, here in Australia. And I think it's a choice for us as a church and as followers of Jesus. How do we speak about injustice? If it's 40 million people in slavery today, how do we speak about that? And then how do we respond to it? Does the enormity of the problem despair us when it seems overwhelming and impossible, or are we actually expectant and prayerful and hopeful? Do we choose to respond in a way that brings more light into this world? That people may see our good God and glorify him. I love that verse from Matthew 5. It's the reason that I'm actually in this, in this work. Because I want people to see the God of justice. So I'm, I'm, again, I'm so grateful um, for this church and how this church has chosen to respond. So today, as I was preparing this, I think it's it's more of a prayer um, and an encouragement for all of us um, that in this fight, that we stay close to Jesus, that we have eyes to see, that we see the slavery that's all around us and that we've eyes to see those little boys, and eyes to see men, women, and children who are just like us, but living a very different life, enslaved, and that we dare to look. And then when we do that, that we've got hearts to imagine that there is a good God, and that he is seeking justice on their their behalf, and that light is always stronger than darkness, and that we're expectant and hopeful and bearful with him um, to end it if we if we just bring ourselves to the fight, because someone bigger than us, who's actually able to do it, is helping us picking up those Legos. Um, and so, as you know, um, as I know that you've been you've been partnering with us, um, God is using His hand and feet around the world, and so we've seen thousands of people, men, women, and children being rescued from slavery and their slave owners being caught and the system, the business model being disrupted and the effects of that is being felt in the lives of so many men, women and children around the world whose lives are now very different. So to close, I wanted to show you a video um, and some of you, those who went to Songs of Freedom, have already seen it. But I just—it makes me very happy—the video. So I just wanted to show it again, because it's a picture of hope and uh, of joy, and it's actually something that we feel every time uh, we have a rescue operation. How gorgeous is that? It just always makes me smile. And um, so this is this is an invitation to join our good God. Um, the god of justice in the fighter and slavery. And it's, a, it's an invitation um, to simultaneously enter um, a, a, the reality of slavery and the darkness of it. Um, but then it's also an invitation to join in that, to come into that joy. It's the joy of Gideon in this beautiful graduation outfit and of those beautiful boys uh, that we saw in the video. And, um, but it's the, and it's the joy of thousands of people that we've been able to rescue. Um, but it's also the joy of a God who delights in, in bringing rescue and doing that through us. Um, and so the invitation is to enter that darkness and then ultimately enter that joy.